Salofa and welcome to the Samoan Scientist podcast. Today we are chatting to Madeline or Mads Schelling. She is an Indigenous Māori scientist. So welcome. Thank you. I'm very <laughs> <Yeah>. excited. <laughs> Thank you for welcoming here to your home. We're out west today in West Auckland. So yeah, this is kind of like my second home, West Auckland. So <laughs> it's nice to be out this way. So, yeah. Mm. So um, for all of our listeners and viewers, could you just give us a bit of introduction about yourself? Uh, kia ora koutou, uh, ko Whitimataro te maunga, ko Awatere te awa, ko uh, Horauta te waka, ko Ngāti Parau te iwi. Ko te whanua Henerupe tōku hapu, uh, ko Henerupe tōku marae, ko Madeline tōku ingoa. Um, I am uh, he uri no uh, Ngāti Parau on my mum's side. Um, however, I grew up on, in Helensville, out west, so way out west, <laughs> out in the farmland. Um, and yeah, I am uh, very excited to be talking to Amy today because we met years ago when I was doing stage one biology and um, Amy was my tour kind of tutor. Yes. And she was very organised. And then the year after, I took on the role and was not as organised. And so I was always in awe of um, how well yeah, Amy ran her <laughs> classes um, compared to how, um, yeah, not well I ran mine. Yeah. It's good to have that dynamic that, yeah, that change up, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, it was good. It was fun. Cool. So, yeah. That's a bit about me. Oh, I went to uh, Kaipara College, also out west. Most mm. people wouldn't have heard of that because no. it's um, a very small rural school. But um, I loved my time at school, so um, it has good good memories for me. So, yeah. so when you say rural, I think of like sheep and cows. So it was like that. Yeah. Uh, how you grew up? Um, yeah. yeah, you think so? We grew up on a like a lifestyle block um, with farms all around and had lambs that we took to Ag Day and um, went to my cousin's farm a lot. So mm. growing up, so yeah, I'd I'd say so. That's where where my heart lies. I think. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think you're the first guest that's grown up with like a rural background. That's pretty ah, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, how did you get into science? Um, so my dad is a scientist. He oh. um, uh, is associate dean of the med school mm -hmm. at Auckland, um, which is so something he's worked very hard for his whole life. So we kind of grew up in our family, um, you know, table talk about genetics and um, just casually <laughs> reproductive cancers <laughs> and, and things like that. So um, I think science has always been part of um, yeah my family's life. Um, and, um, yeah, my brother used to like to experiments and like freeze bugs and stuff, you know, just oh yeah, <laughs> weird stuff. No, and, um, yeah, I think science, science is just, yeah, been something we've always found interesting. Mm. So, um, I don't actually now do classic science. Yeah. Mine's more kind of social human, human sciences. Um, which is a science. Which is a science, yes. totally is. Yes. And indigenous knowledge as well is, is a science mm. in itself because it is, you know, creating and testing hypotheses. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's, yeah, what I'm doing. Mm. <laughs> so your kind of interest around science started from home, from your dad, really, yeah. and just chatting about genetics at the table at dinner yeah. and things like that. Yeah. What about in high school? Did you 
enjoy science in high school? Um, I did. I had a great um, science teacher, Mr. Mm. Limmer. Um, I also had a very great geography teacher, Miss um, Krasnich. Um, everyone who went to Kaipara will know her. Um, she yeah, was very inspiring and just made you, I think it's more about questioning things about the world and how things work and how societies work and how ethnicity works mm. um, in our world is, is very interesting. So yeah, I kind of got into that. But at the same time, I refused to do maths. So okay. um, I did um, level one maths and then oh. didn't do any other maths and mm. also no stats or calculus um, because it's really hard and now I'm still terrible at math. So it's right. Um, so it's kind of, I think my story is when you're at school, don't, you know, do what you love, mm -hmm. not what you um, think you need to do, I mm. think. Um, like some people might need to do um, stats to get into medicine or whatever, but um, like I chose chemistry and I didn't love it and I didn't actually need it in the end and I should have just oh. done PE. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think if you do what you love, then that will be what you end up studying, what you, your job ends up being, so um, you, yeah. And for some students, they may not know what they love, so what would you suggest to them? Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Uh, I think that's actually a hard question for me because I've always known what I've wanted to do mm. with my life. Um, so I always had a bit of direction. Um, mm. But I think, I don't know, just find, mm. you know, go, get out there and, and see what really, um, yeah, sparks you and what gets you motivated. Um, it's, what's the saying? Either do what you love so you can always be doing that or do what you hate so you can change it mm. in this world or something. You know, mm -hmm. just something that you're passionate about. So find your passions. So you took the sciences in high school? Yeah. Three sciences, but no maths. No. Did you, what was your kind of fun subject or? Um, I took te reo oh. and geography. Geography oh, was um, a fun subject, yes. So you took te reo all the way up until year 13? Yep. Wow. Yeah. So you're fluent? Uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm, no, um, but I'm, I can listen and like, yeah. like read, you know, read and write and understand. Um, but my speaking, I just get a little bit, fuck a little oh. bit embarrassed. So that's, um, not as up there as I'd like, but we're getting there. But you could have like a casual conversation. Yeah. Like a dinner. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would just be a lot. little bit slow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try, that's so cool. Yeah. I think it's really nice to um, hold and be able to learn about your own language throughout high school. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't really talked about that with any anyone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was that like, um, I guess, learning te reo in high school? It was good. We had, um, there was not many of us that did it. And um, yeah, by the time we got to year 13, I was doing it by correspondence, which okay. was pretty yeah. hard, um, just because it didn't fit with my other subjects. Um, but yeah, and then going, I went in my first year of uni to um, AUT and did like a night class there. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. And then just last year, I did um, another course at Tewananga or Aotearoa Kiwaitakere, and that was awesome. So really recommend doing a night class, mm. prioritizing yeah. the time. Yeah. Were those classes free? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, and they give you so many resources. Like there's yeah, it, and. Brilliant teaching, wow. yeah. It's definitely something that every every Māori person should do just to normalise 
te reo in their um, in their science journey because they're not you know we often see them as kind of mutually exclusive um, but they're not they go together really well so wow yeah so you were definitely encouraged taking the language <coughs> or te reo Māori in high school yeah alongside science yeah wow. for sure that's pretty cool yeah um, because yeah you learn that um, indigenous knowledge is science so mm. yeah I was also thinking about um, I was wondering if you did any uh, like extracurricular activities at high school or was it just like studying um i did a lot of studying but also lots of sports okay. <laughs> yeah we played being from a small school it was um a bit easier to get into all the sports teams so we just we did a lot of <laughs> <laughs> just, just to get to out of helensville yeah <laughs> oh, um yeah course. so yeah school is it was definitely a time of yeah con constant sport and study so yeah it was good it's important though I think. yeah how did you um balance both of that the study and the sports um not so well at uh -huh. the start i think it's something you need to learn um if you're the sort of person that wants to push yourself all the time because mm. you do burn out so you need to find yeah a good balance between being physically exhausted or physically rested and also being mentally exhausted mentally rested so finding mm. at high school i didn't quite have that balance right and i blow out and get sick all the time but i think i've nailed it right. now <laughs> Yeah. So for kids who are really into their sports and also into their studies, what's some advice that you would give them to keep the balance so they don't burn out? Mm. Um, I'd use it to your advantage. So learn how to read your body and know when you're going downhill, when you're pushing it too hard mm. and then how to pull it back sensibly um, and making sure, um, yeah, that you just have, have that daily balance and also sleep, prioritizing your sleep and your nutrition um, is so, so important mm. for brain power and for body power if you're doing any sports or anything. Mm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty good at the sleeping at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that down yeah. a lot. <laughs> True. So after you finished high school, um, what do you do next and how do you make that next decision? Um, it was pretty easy decision. It wasn't really a decision. It was just always assumed I was going to go to uni, um, which is um, was really awesome in my school. Um, and I had a scholarship to go to uni and study mm. um, a Bachelor of Science. Um, so yeah, I made the transition out to uni, um, which was exciting. And it's very different to high school. Um, so you kind of, yeah, learn yeah lots of different skills very very quickly um but yeah i had actually a very smooth transition so i was very lucky mm. yeah so what were those skills those different types of skills you had to learn when making that transition from high school to university um how to do your own washing oh yes yeah <laughs> and how much time that takes yeah. Yeah, yeah um no i was very lucky i lived in a um a hostel my first year so that was kind of like semi Help. But I think uh, time management is a big one. So learning how to uh, not get distracted too much with your friends, mm. how to knuckle down when you need to knuckle down and do your study, and um, yeah, just how to motivate yourself to get out and do what do what needs mm. to be done. So what did you enrol in? Bachelor of Science. I started it with a major in biology at, and geography, so double major. Um, but then after my first year, I dropped to biology. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why was that? Um, it just was very like technical and I was still very passionate about um, poverty and people and making some change and I just yeah, wasn't really seeing where how that was going to work with 
with the biology. Like it would have, but I just wasn't as passionate about it as I was with my um, other papers. So. Wow. Mm. And going into university, you didn't really have that perception of what biology was like and what your um, sorry was it geography? Yeah. Yeah, was like, like um, yeah, you didn't have like a good idea of what um, what's what um, subjects you'll be learning about in biology and geography. Yeah, it definitely got like more um, serious at biology at uni um, because we had such a great biology teacher at high school we made everything like seem really fun and oh, um and so then you get to biology and like well there's just so <laughs> many facts intense. to learn yeah it was really <laughs> intense um but i did enjoy it and i did a couple of like um the pre-med papers like that the med yeah. students do and they were fascinating like so interesting okay. but yeah um i just it wasn't where my heart is so mm. yeah but um geography was very similar yeah, yeah. but again you're following your passion yeah so I don't know, to some people might might feel a bit strange having to drop um, an, another major, like maybe a failure or something. Yeah. But you you felt comfortable in doing that because you were passionate about going to geography. It felt right yeah. for you. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I think um, my dad might have been a little bit disappointed when I dropped the biology, but um, I think he knew that, yeah, it was... If you're not into it, you're not going to study it properly and you're not going to get the best grades and that's not going to... Got it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, just mm. did what I... Yeah, it felt right. It was, yeah, I, didn't, I did at the start feel like, oh, maybe I'm failing, but I was like, I'm not going to try hard in this paper because I'm... Yeah, it's... Yeah, not what right. I'm going to do. <laughs> and so what was that geography like? Uh, the, your major in geography, once you got into it, what was that like? Um, so very similar, I think. Um, being very determined to do what I'm passionate about, I stayed well away from um, any papers that I didn't have to do that were about the like geographical mapping and stuff, okay, like all of the, okay. I've forgotten the name of it. GIS? Um, yes, GIS. Oh, yeah, 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 no, I didn't know <laughs> GIS. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything worse. <clears throat> so maths in it, hasn't it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be able to get in. Um, yeah, so yeah, did very much followed the things that I really wanted to do, which is all the um, human and um, culture issues and um, yeah, more the human geography um, kind of side of things, wow. but um, then physical geography like um, wind and <laughs> you know, okay. like climate and stuff. I was like, mm, no, not for me. Let's talk about cultures or countries. And, oh. And stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's very. Once you get to uni, um, you, it is so so easy to change your path as you go along. Like wow. it was, yeah, it was um, much easier than I thought. And yeah, it's yeah, that's really good to hear because yeah. I, well, from my experience, I feel like you're very um, confined into a career once you mm. decide what subjects you take. Yeah. And for me, it seemed quite rigid. If I went to university, oh, okay. I couldn't switch to yeah. majors or switch degrees. Yeah. But that's really encouraging to hear you felt like it was quite yeah. easy for you to follow what you wanted to do and follow what you were passionate in. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. Um, and yeah, also, like, I know for Māori and Pacifica, it's very hard sometimes to to ask these things or to put your hand up and say, look, I'm not comfortable Um can I please change this, you know, because it's um, it's very ingrained in Māori Pacific culture to be, um, you know, respectful to the elders, mm. respectful to the authority and the teachers. And um, But actually at Auckland, well, I assume every, 
other unis as well, you can say like, look, this isn't part of my journey. I'd really like to try this. And from my experience, um, everyone was very supportive of that. Wow. Um, so, and I think, yeah, big barrier for Māori and Pacific if we, you know, believe in yourselves that, you know, you know that you know what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Mm. And asking people is not a burden on them. You know, it's their job to help you find your best path through university. So, um, yeah, don't be afraid to to get what you want to get, I think. Mm. Yeah. So who did you go and ask? Who was the first person you asked about changing your majors? Uh, they've got lots of, like... Um, uh, offices and people that you might have to book in to see mm. or just email a lecturer and I'll pass you on to okay. the in person. So I yeah, I found it quite easy to navigate those um, mm. information's all somewhere on the website. So mm. yeah. So I was just thinking as well, you know, you're following your passion of what you enjoyed at university and the papers. Did you have any idea of what that could translate into in terms of a job? Um, I had ideas, but no, I think the whole journey from start of uni to the end will um, kind of define that for you. So I think mm. ha not having, unless you, I don't know, hang on, that's a really tricky question. Um, no, not really. Yeah. I just kind of was wanted to see where, where it took me. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, uh, no, I was going to say something rude about an arts degree, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I just yeah. assumed that you know if you're because I was always passionate about poverty and the environment and um you know hunger and um disease and health and all those things um so I you know we are always going to have those in our world so I mm. assume that there's a job out there somewhere <laughs> yeah no, definitely mm. and during your time at university were there any big challenges that you faced um, I wrote this down. Oh yeah. Um, nah, not not really. Like I really, because I studied what I really loved and what was really fun, and I'd come home and be like to my flatmate, I'm really excited. I'm writing wow. like a um, an essay about like water quality in the Ganges River, and wow. she was like, "You're such a nerd." But um, <laughs> no, I it was. I always enjoyed this the study side of it. Um, it was probably more out of out of study mm. things like I don't know breakups and. Um, Personal life. Yeah, personal life stuff. Yeah. So not really um, study challenges. Though that is challenging, you know, you're moving out of home and you're growing up and becoming an adult. And so it's a it's a journey, but I don't think it's, um, I think it's it's worth it in the oh. end. So. That's quite, I find that quite, um, not astounding, but like, quite like um, significant that you you study what you love mm. and then you come home and you're like I'm actually excited to write an essay yeah, like, yeah. I'm excited to study for a test that's such like a different way of thinking and, and like different mentality yeah and it's so positive yeah. yeah and the positive outlook on university yeah because I see a lot of memes like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I have to study for this test or yeah like, yeah I have to do this essay so yeah. I mean oh, there's definitely wow. a couple of papers like that um, that I did that I just, yeah, <laughs> didn't yeah. enjoy. But yeah, most of the time the, um, it was, yeah, enjoyable. And um, yeah, so now I'm studying my PhD in Māori health and food security and food sovereignty. Mm. And so that's, it's, all of that has kind of, you know, guided me slowly towards where I am now. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, looking down the barrel of three or four years of 
PhD research and I'm actually you know excited to to do it yeah despite the memes yeah. <laughs> so yeah. many memes about how stressful it's gonna be but um yeah no it's, it's exciting so wow. um yeah I think that it makes it it just makes it so much easier when you're you're doing mm. what you enjoy so so is that why you decided to continue with your studies to do your PhD because you enjoyed that side so much yeah the geography so much um yeah and so when I was nine I told my parents that I wanted to be an aid worker in Africa and that was always my um my passion and my drive for years and years and years to want to work with you know like with um the poverty in Africa and mm. stuff and eventually kind of came around I went and lived in Africa and I was like actually I want to start in in my backyard start with oh. my people um wait and so you lived in Africa yeah yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was working with this um, organization called Foundations for Farming in Zimbabwe. Mm. And they were incredible because they were teaching um, the uh, smallholder um, kind of African farmers, farmers yeah. um, after the land redistribution. So they took um, land off the big commercial farmers and handed out to smaller kind of oh. um, individuals who had smaller plots and didn't quite know how to um, farm those plots most of, most efficiently. Um, and then there's hunger and there's lots of economic and food issues going on in Zimbabwe. Um, so they were kind of teaching them how to be more f effective in their farming. And they had all these amazing kind of sustainable ways of, um, of, of farming and um, yeah, growing healthy food and making um, yeah, more money for the people. And so there was one um, community we were working with was this disabled community um, who were quite ostracised from the general civilians. And um, they were incredible. And so one, so the average maize yield per hectare, I think, was 600 kilos. Yeah, 600 kilos mm. or something. Um, and then... After a couple of years of this new system, they were getting like three, like 10 times that. So they were getting like wow. six tons worth of, of maize per hectare because of these different techniques, which was amazing. But it was also incredible because this, this community, like one guy had um, dwarfism, he's also blind, mm -hmm. yet his um, like field had these perfect straight lines of the holes Whoa. he had dug all by himself. And... Um, and he had dug himself well and everything. Like it was, it was amazing. So how did he do that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, but yeah, no. so it's this whole like disabled community with a huge range of disabilities. Um, yet they were um, really making a change for them and their families. Like it was, it was incredible. So that kind of like seeing that was made me, you know, even more passionate to um, work in this area of food security. Um, but yeah, I, in the end, I decided I want to start amongst my own people because oh. we have um, some issues in yeah in Aotearoa that we work on first. So, so were you helping the farmers in Zimbabwe? <coughs> yeah, I wasn't doing that much. I was only there for a few months, so um, I was more ob observing. Um, and you kind of helped out, was helping with organisation, like admin stuff and um, oh. not a lot. But just being there taught me a lot about, about the world, I think. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I personally wasn't doing that much help. I think I, I don't know, watered some tomatoes at the orphanage oh, and yeah. things like that and, you know, talk to them about mulch, but that's about it, yeah. But you get a different perspective of the, of the world and I get more, and I feel like, more understanding, right? Yeah. More empathy. Yeah. And um, 
then you then you like you said you think about your home where you're from and mm. what you can do to help your yeah. community wow yeah so you did that after you finished your bachelor's degree yeah so you went and lived in there for a couple months yeah and then came back home yeah thinking okay we need to do something with my community yes and so what was that um <laughs> well it was interesting actually before before zimbabwe um i did a uni project i had a great lecturer at my third year yes i remember you telling me yeah yeah yes. in the in the philippines um so i was working with a group of indigenous people in the highlands of the philippines and so they kind of had their um the government had decided that all land above a certain elevation was now the government's land and the government oh. was selling it off to dole and palm oil plantations and things like that. The problem is that these highland tribes, they all live in those elevations. Oh so they were just getting their land taken off them and you know, their traditional forests were just being bulldozed and they just had, um, because they lived quite traditionally, mm. um, uh, they had no leg to stand on really with the legal proceedings and stuff. So part of my job, again, I was only there for a few months, so it was more <laughs> about my life. I was a little bit useless, but um, it was very interesting. So we were helping them to kind of map out their ancestral domains so they could get um, kind of a legal title for their ancestral domains so that could kind of protect their their forest where they, you know, which was their um, their pharmacy and their, what do they call it? Their pharmacy and their supermarket all in one. You know, it's just, right. yeah, so they were amazing. Yeah. So we went and lived with these people up in the highlands that had, you know, built all their own houses out of bamboo. And it was incredible, um, but yeah, they didn't have much power. So I think combining the, realizing the legal political side mm. in the Philippines, and then also realizing the need for, um, like sustainability of the whenua in Africa kind of brought me back home and I realised we have a combination of both those issues here. So yes. um, that's what my PhD project pretty much is. Wow. Yeah, so um, do you want me to talk about that? Or? Yeah, I was just thinking going back to like your experiences, you had to go outside of um, New Zealand to realise that. Yeah. So I guess for others, would you recommend um, if they do get the opportunity to do work outside of New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and because you realise, you see what our strengths are. You know, in New Zealand we have a lot of strengths because we have a treaty with our mm. Indigenous peoples. Yeah. Um, and then you also see our failings or our work-ons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, things to yeah, do better. Like, um, yeah, we've still got a long way to go with our biculturalism mm. and, you know, um, bilingualism. You know, a lot of countries easily speak several languages. Um, yeah. And it's not even, you know, right. some countries in Europe, like my Dutch cousin, speak four languages. Just because, you know, the countries are nearby, yet in New Zealand, mm. we're like, oh, we only want to speak yeah. English, you <laughs> yeah. know. But actually, yeah. we could be much more of a melting pot of languages and ethnicities if we, if we put our mind to it. So, yeah, I think it gives you a good perspective of um, how other places work and how we want to, um, yeah how we want Aotearoa to look in the future. Mm. Yeah, and how did you get those opportunities to go overseas to do to do research, right? Um, yeah, yeah, so it was a summer studentship, yeah. I think, the, the Philippines one, and I just had a great um, a lecturer, professor, JC, yeah. shout out. <laughs> um, he was great and um, just kind of, yeah, put my name down and helped me through it. So I think... Um, 
just applying for things like there's so many opportunities that you can just apply for um, and um, yeah just get out and do it especially while you're young and you got time. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can just get up and go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have too much tying you down. So, um, yeah. And then Zimbabwe, I just had friends over there and just wanted a bit of. Oh. I was an I was an intern, really. So okay. I didn't get paid for it, but it's a great way to travel oh. to go live somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing as well. Finances. Um, I don't know. Some people may think they. Well, some people need to get paid. I don't know yeah. if they have a family. True. But yeah. um, also volunteer work is quite valuable as well yeah. you gain that experience mm. yeah yeah no yeah. I'm um what almost 26 and have got a stink car <laughs> you, know, <laughs> my, <laughs> you know my wealth is my experiences but yeah. but really um yeah it's been a little bit poor harder at times but um just you know the more you study the more you end up getting paid for your jobs at the end so mm. hopefully I'll catch up eventually True. um but yeah no definitely worth it I think I'd rather have a stink car and have gone to Africa than not. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Than have a beamer, but a waster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely yeah. know where you're coming from. Yeah. Were you working while you're studying? Yeah. Your bachelor's? Yeah. Um, Even um, though you had a scholarship? Oh, uh, during my bachelor's, um, not really, more in the holidays. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, because, yeah, you can get a good three months work in, yeah. in the holidays. Yeah, um, And then... Yeah, then I worked in between bachelors and honors. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and travel in between traveling and stuff. So, oh. yeah, yes, yeah. Because I think as students, you know, we do. Well, some people don't have scholarships, so they need jobs. Yeah. So they work while they study as yeah. well. But that is kind of the reality, right? Yeah, that yeah. and that's that is really, um, really tough. Like especially this year, working and training and um, trying to get my PhD started has been financially, yeah quite stressful um but for Māori and Pacific students there is so many scholarships out there there is so much money that um governments are just and organizations are so keen to pour into Māori and Pacific students because um yeah so there's some great opportunities so I think there is um more than people realize so like yeah if anyone's struggling financially going through uni I'd go to the scholarships office and just be like look (laughs) <laughs> sign yeah. me up yeah what ones can I apply for and okay. I think you'll be surprised how much um, m- more support you can get because it is to not have to do like an extra 10 hours work a week oh, yeah. makes a massive massive oh, yeah. difference yeah yeah so after your experiences from uh, from your experiences in the Philippines and in Zimbabwe you come back and then you start your PhD mm-hmm. yeah so did you want to talk about that process there you just talk, touched on it a bit about how you're trying to organise your PhD and then working and then training. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's a bit of a sore point for me still. <laughs> so I first contacted my supervisors in April and then just because the system can be a little bit difficult, like I think compared to having such a breeze through undergrad and honours oh, yeah. as well, yeah. um, the process of a PhD application is um, was this year uh, quite stressful. Um, because I don't know, like um, my Maori supervisors were super vi- super busy, and um, so it took ages to reply. And um, you know, I'm all keen to go, thinking it's about to start next week. And then I was told I was going to start second semester. And then um, three months later, I finally get accepted. So it's just been that's been a bit of a process. Um, but 
And if I didn't have dad, actually, I probably would have mm. pulled out, which is why I am writing a letter <laughs> to wow. the people who, um, you know, white on um, white chicks, and he's like, I am going to write a letter. No. <laughs> no. Is this like a complaining letter or like a Complaining nice... letter, oh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, like no, a just... Karen letter, like, I'm going to complain to the... Yeah, <laughs> can I speak to the manager? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because if I didn't have dad or if I was a Māori Pacific student, who you know had a bit of a busy family at home and um, was trying to get this started, but also you know had to support their family. I would have pulled out months ago. It would is way too difficult. Um, like if I didn't have the support from my Fano, um, it would be way too hard. So I'm yeah I'm determined that there is a way to make the whole PhD process more streamlined because. We need more Māori in tertiary mm. studies. You were at the conference yesterday. Yes. You're talking yes. about um, about Māori and Pacific in tertiary. And to go through nine months of not being able to work much because I'm trying to get this PhD started and I think it's about to start and it doesn't um, is too much for, you know, mm. uh, for someone said, luckily I had a job that's just scraped me through. But, um, yeah. That's my rant. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, um, it started now. I got accepted last week. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and my scholarship money is supposed to start next week. So okay. I will finally be able to pay my bills. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's tough. Definitely recommend that everyone gets a job while they're starting. you're starting your PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, expect it to take... A while, yeah, and then hopefully in the meantime, um, I will write some letters and they will sort <laughs> out their system. <laughs> but I think it's important having support. So for you, that was your dad. Yeah. But so it could be support from someone who knows the system as well. Yeah. And knowing how to respond um, to the university process because um yeah it's the same with all universities. You know they have a process they have to follow. Um, and there are different ways about approaching that process. Yeah. yeah. So I guess having a guide, yeah. right, is, yeah. is helpful. Yeah. Mm. And um, like again, that like that fakama of being of not asking for things is right. is big. You just got to keep sending emails. Like, and it, you, <laughs> I was always like, sorry to be annoying, but um, you know, <laughs> have you seen my application? Yeah. <laughs> and um, how long is it gonna take? And my supervisors are always, oh, sorry, yes, we're busy, but we'll we'll yes. check now. You know, and it's not a burden on them. Um, because obviously, again, it's their job, um, and they are just very busy people, and they just want to be reminded like that. So don't be ashamed to keep on sending emails till until you get uh, where you need to be. Because if you wait for everyone else at unis or in academia, then uh, they they won't get back to you. So you have to really fight for it. I think, wow. which is tough. Um, especially when you don't want to be like annoying or pushy. Yes. Um, but yes. yeah, you do. There is an element of, of fighting for <laughs> your getting yeah. your PhD started. No, I can yeah. relate to that because even just emailing lecturers about asking them a question, you feel like, oh, I can't email them again because totally. I'm. Yeah. It would be annoying. Yeah. But you're right. It's it's their job, and yeah. they are busy people. That's yeah. just reality. And this is for everyone. Uh, uh, I'm assuming everyone in academia. And so, yeah, it is really our responsibility to just just keep emailing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. And just to keep on top of it. 
Yeah. Because it's our um, our education, our journey, and we need yeah. some money to yeah. survive. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you money. get that money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I had one potential supervisor, and he said the squ- what, the squeaky wheel, the squeakiest wheel gets oiled or something. Just oh. meaning like yeah, the more you more you squeak, then you know someone will pay attention to you. And he said, um, he actually said to me, I hate it when students don't email me and they assume that I remember and that I need to, wow. and they and they're, they're waiting for me. And then they're like, oh, I was waiting for you. He's like, no, you just keep bugging me. So I was like, sweet, yeah, okay, will do. But, um, uh, yeah, and then there's that cultural difference you're saying, you know, mm-hmm. where he, he was Pakeha, yeah. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was, um, yeah, interesting, but yeah, it, it is cultural difference, yeah. Mm. But just to remind us that it's different women, academia, yes, um, yeah, those, totally. I mean, there's respect, but there's, there's not that cultural respect understanding we have in our own cultures, mm. Pacifica, Maori cultures, mm. so yeah, so. Email. Yeah. <laughs> email, email, email. Get after yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. So can you talk of um, what you're doing for your PhD? Um, so I'm doing Māori Health and Food Sovereignty. Um, I'm very excited about it. It started with my honours last year when I was looking at food security in Te Araroa, which is where oh. my mum is from. Um, and that was a really interesting project because it was also at the same time um, reconnecting with our whānau there. So we... Um, don't really know Alfano very well. Um, we kind of know the know the Papa, but we don't know you know the aunties and the cousins and the nannies. Um, so going down there was very scary um, mm. to kind of just turn up to someone's house and be like, "Where your long lost Alfano?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, it, it was it was wonderful. It was amazing. We made some awesome connections and met met some cousins and stuff, which is so so special. Um, and then, sorry, that's not even talking about my PhD yet. Um, sorry. <laughs> we're talking about food security in Tauraroa. So um, on the very tip of the East Cape of the North Island, um, when you look at maps of deprivation in New Zealand, they are bright red. Same with the, um, there and up north, like northern, like okay. Kaikohe, is, you know, extremely deprived. Oh. Um, however, I... Uh, was pretty convinced that that actually wasn't the real story um, because they're a very isolated community, um, very connected to uh, the traditional lifestyles and kaimoana and um, you know hunting and fishing and um, you know collecting um, collecting kaimoana. Um, and so I kind of went down and asked a few questions around. Um, what are your traditional practices here that create resilience to food security to make sure that you have um, kind of enough nutritious food year round. Um, I kind of said, you know, these maps of deprivation are telling the rest of New Zealand that this is a very deprived area. And they're like, oh, we're fine. (laughs) You know, they're like, you could cut the power to our community and we'd survive because we have that um, depth of mātauranga, that depth of knowledge of... um, of our whenua that, you know, is not recognised in the rest of New Zealand. Mm. So um, they, and they really could, you could cut the power and they would, um, you know, one whanau would bring the beef to the marae, one whanau would bring the um, the fish, one whanau would bring, um, you know, the pork that they've hunted in, to the marae and they just used, you know, traditional ways of living, which is just, you know, manaakitanga, sharing the food and, um, How do they cook the food? 
I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, they'd 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 find ways. Like they'd have hangi pits, hangi, and yeah. um, you know, they had huge um, like had gardens like Mara, mm. um, and they would just yeah, they would they have those kind of systems in place that created resilience that was not recognised. So when I looked at our food insecurity questionnaire for New Zealand, we've got eight questions and all of those questions are related to affordability of food. Uh, do you have enough income? Do you have enough money mm. each week for your food? Um, which isn't necessarily all of the aspects of yes. food security yes. um, because it's also related to um, access or do you have the right... Um, can you use it appropriately? Is it culturally appropriate? You know, at some times of the year, like, it, um, you know, there might be lots of poo-poo, which are the little, um, like, water snails. Water? Oh, yeah. I've never seen them. Yeah, so um, there's, like, you know, lots of them um, at all times of the year, but um, they've got a real, like, cultural um, uh, kind of attachment to them where they you're made fun of if you're the poo poo diver it means that you're oh. the one that is not very good at anything <laughs> yeah. else yes, so yeah. you're very good at collecting poo poo so um yeah it's just a uh you know is is food culturally appropriate is it maori food is it traditional food mm. or is it potatoes oh. you know so um so our food security questionnaire one of the questions is um do you or have you in the last week or month relied on a family member or a friend to bring you food or bring you money for food because you didn't have enough? And Māori would yes. say, of course yes, we do. Course. We share food all the time. That's a wow. cultural, um, you know, a pillar of our culture is manaakitanga, is sharing mm. when people don't have enough, making sure people in the community don't slip through the cracks. You know, that's... Um, a very, you know, if Māori traditions or even Pacifica traditions are functioning well in a community, that's a big yes. yes. And But if you tick yes on our food security questionnaire, that goes down as a negative response. Yes. So um, it makes you look more food insecure mm -hmm. when actually you're more resilient. So looking at all those questions, very similar kind of theme is that these ways of measuring how deprived you know, Māori are, does not take into account any of our resiliences mm. or any of our um, strength-based capacities that, that we have um, that are, you know, going to be important for um, uh, health policies and, you know, obesity prevention, health um, and mm. order is, um, yeah, I just, <laughs> as you can, yeah. I'm really passionate about this because it's not right. How are we supposed to have health policies that are um, serving our people well if we're not even if we don't even know what's going on yeah it's a western lens a western totally. survey that yeah. haven't considered our indigenous communities into that survey because like you said it skews everything else in terms of funding right yeah. how we're going to help with obesity um, and like poverty in New Zealand Wow, that's really interesting. Mm. So you found the complete opposite when you looked at that graph, uh, the, the, the map from the survey that really where your marae is, where your community is, where your family is, they are not undernourished, they're not in poverty. Co yeah, <laughs> they're correct. thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Was it like crayfish and stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they were yeah. living royalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. It was the opposite situation. And if there were any um, health issues, it would be because of the westernised 
oh. food. Like, so they had one four square, and the nearest countdown is like <laughs> hours away. Wow. And you know, four square block of butter is like eight bucks, and it's it's crazy. And the other thing I thought of was. Yeah, like you said, it skews where our funding goes. Mm. So at the moment, there is funding for, you know, those little Fonterra milk in schools yes, containers. Yes. Yeah. You know, millions of them, okay, maybe not millions, but lots of them <laughs> being poured into the schools in this community. Whereas why don't we just fund the local dairy farmer to provide the community with milk? You know, create, you know, fund a system for him to feed the community. Mm. That enhances his mana or their mana, his or hers, Females can be dairy farmers too. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, enhances their mana because they're feeding their family, they're con contributing to the hapu. Um, and it enhances the mana of the community because they're not reliant on outside people giving them things. And, um, you know, I just see that as a win-win situation. Like, why can't we, why can't Definitely. that be where our funding goes? But no one's going to see that um, when you look up the food insecurity in East Cape and it's like 10 out of 10 for on the negative side, yeah. you know, because it's not being measured properly. Mm. We don't understand that um, what's actually going on. So my um, PhD mm. is hopefully going to think of like a different questionnaire that is asking Māori, what are your, what's your view on food security, food sovereignty? Where do you stand? You know, one of the questions might be, do you have a close connection to your marae? And then if you tick yes, that's a point towards your resilience because yeah. marais are kind of hubs of, um, you know, sharing that manakitanga and that, that knowledge and, you know, all those things. Mm. So that's, yeah, where I'm, where I'm aiming for. And will you be going across all of New Zealand or just from, were you saying on the East Cape? Yeah, yeah. so I decided not to research my whānau again because... Um, you know, Māori and Indigenous people have a history of being research subjects and my relationship with my whānau is far too important. <laughs> mm. So I'm not going to be working with them again, even though they're an incredible community that's a great example of food security and food sovereignty. Um, but I think there's an important difference between rural and urban yes. um, Māori populations mm. and so I think that may be like a comparison study or um, you're looking at those differences there, like what do urban Māori need to have the same, to, you know, enhance their resilience? What do rural communities need? Because it's going to be different needs. Mm. So, um, yeah. You talked a bit about Indigenous knowledge and how um, your family um, collected food and they talked about what type of food they... Um, commonly eat. Um, what is your opinion around um, indigenous knowledge and how we approach it, or how we, um, how do you say, how we collaborate with it in your research? Mm, yeah, I think it's it's been a really interesting journey um, because I think coming from a very Western science perspective, and then realizing that you can't just have Western science and then tack on the indigenous, you know, we've got to, if we're going to make a real difference for um, indigenous people's health, it has to come from indigenous people, you know, from, at the very foundation. So I think it has to come first and foremost um, on an equal plane with Western science mm. um, methods and frameworks. And so I'm going to be doing a, uh, 
co <coughs> uh, Māori research approach um, for my study, and I think that that's really um, growing in um, interest and mm. um, importance. Um, Could you explain what that is? So it's uh, more kind of the whole research process to um, be by Māori for Māori and at the same time for other Indigenous people, by Indigenous people, for Indigenous mm. people. I'm talking to one um, researcher in Australia um, who's, she's an um, Aboriginal woman doing some incredible work mm. with um, food security amongst children and she's, you know, it's the same thing, question, asking a Māori questions and writing down or getting them to, you know, tick yes or no on questionnaire doesn't have any relationship. No. Whereas Indigenous um, methodologies and like a kaupapa Māori research would have a relationship with your participant and not even calling them a participant you know they yes. are they are um, the ones that you go to to say you know this research is for us or um, if you're Pākehā this is for you um, how can you you know tell me how to do this research and you become not the one who is instigating oh, this is what I, you know, have learned about your community, so this is what I'm going to tell the, you know, the rest of the science world about you. It's actually what's, what's your story and how can I be the channel to tell that? You know, you're just the, um, the scientific writer of mm. their story. So I think to kind of do your research from that perspective um, really changes the importance of your, of your research um, because it's for your people. And using kaupapa Māori, does that also protect uh, their traditional teachings? Because I know some people are very um, sensitive about their traditional knowledge that has been passed down from generations. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's a real, um, you know, a lot of the research, there's a sense of tapu or a sense of um, sacredness around the knowledge because it is um, sacred because it has been passed down since Ngāwā or Mua, you know, the mm. times of way before. And um, so, yeah, just treating that knowledge and those people that you are researching with, with that respect and that sacredness. In, um, and I think that really places the importance of the research on them rather than on you. So you're not just extracting, you know, yeah. how, the story yes. of Indigenous people worldwide is of extraction and um, continuing colonization is extracting their knowledge. So by turning that relationship around and uh, making sure that it is, you know, a bottom-up approach and it's no longer extraction and um, it's now, yeah, respecting that sacredness of their knowledge, then, yeah, I think that's, that is where um, Indigenous research is going to be heading towards so mm. western science watch out like yeah, you better change your ways yeah. <laughs> yeah so a part of your phd you will be going around talking to um is it like elders or like leaders of i don't know the yeah. proper term of marais komatua right? of marais mm. and then you'll then be um kind of analyzing that knowledge is that what the phd would kind of look like i think so yeah. um I th I'm planning on doing some like facilitated workshops, so, um, so which is a skill um, that I was learning with um, JC. Shout out again! Yes. <laughs> great. Um, if you're doing geography, take JC's papers. They're great. Um, and um, so more working with people to find what their ideas are. So rather than being like, 
everybody, we like tell me what your idea of food security right. is. Being, you know, like here's a piece of paper. Everyone, write your ideas. This is how we're going to, you know, I want the the discussion to come from them, mm. and then I can just be like stalking in the corner, like, yeah. <laughs> like recording them. <laughs> yeah, and then hopefully, yeah, just again, just trying to be the channel to tell those stories to say, actually, our the way that we measure food security is not appropriate for Māori or Pacifica in New Zealand because these people are telling me this. So yeah, I think it will be um, telling people's t stories. Yeah. That's what I'm aiming for, mm. yeah. And when you come to the end of the PhD, I just um, kind of giving like a perspective for people who have no idea about it, like what would that, what do you get out of the PhD at the end? What does, yeah. Um, I don't know, hopefully a job. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hopefully some money. Um, no, so I don't know, um, actually. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I've always, especially after being in Africa, um, I was like, oh, do I do a PhD or do I get a job? Um, doing a PhD, you know, to be, have, to have grown up in a sciencey family and you know, having dad as its mm. support um, and having the opportunity to do a PhD I think is a real privilege um, so I will use that privilege of having done that study to make make some difference right. I think yeah rather than um, yeah yeah and again you're following your passion yeah and I feel like since you've been following it these opportunities have come up yeah anyway um, yep. even like talking to your like JC yeah or even going to Zimbabwe, having mm. contacts over there. But that was really driven from your underlying passion of um, what you wanted to do, what mm. you felt comfortable doing and wanting to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's good that you brought that up, that you don't really know what you want, what, like yeah. a job, yeah. straight out. I mean, it's yeah. like four years, so yeah. <laughs> I'm sure by the end of it, you know, something will come up. But I would love to work with indigenous people all over the world mm. because you know Maori are doing on the scale of other indigenous peoples are doing um, well yeah they're killing it yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're like, yeah. yeah and so you know there's work to be done in the Pacific there's work to be done in Australia with Aboriginals who they're, you know Australia is like 20 years behind New Zealand you know they don't even have a treaty they're mm. not even mentioned in their constitution oh, yeah, yeah. so um, yeah don't get started on that yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so yeah. you know there's this work to be done and so to um, yeah, I think it's it's very a real privilege to be working with Maori who are at the forefront of these kind of cultural developments. Mm. Yeah. So now that you're doing your PhD, you're still you know it's really busy, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're still working. Yep. Yep. And so, do you do like any, I guess, fun things outside <laughs> of study? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, I do. Um, oh yeah, I'm gonna say the c word. I do CrossFit. <laughs> um, I do a lot of CrossFit, um, so that keeps me sane, and that's also really fun. Like the travelling and the competitions, and mm. training is my social time, and um, so that is, um, yeah, my gets me through. Yeah. Wow! So you get to we'll travel with CrossFit as well. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully, if I can get some sponsorship, <laughs> then oh. I can travel some more. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, funds are going to be a little bit tight in the next few years. But hopefully, yeah, do some more travel. Mostly wow. just Australia and Christchurch. Mm. So yeah, again, how do you balance that? Because um, PhD is a lot more than bachelor's, and um, from what I'm guessing, CrossFit. Um, well, I know Mads is like, yeah, 
she's like she's the best at crossfit i think but yeah. <laughs> so you. how do you balance the two um well i'm what's today thursday i'm four days in to my phd <laughs> So, so far it's gone great. <laughs> um, no, I think it's, um, yeah, definitely time management, but it's a good balance because you can do your work and use your brain and you're sitting on your bum mm. and then, you know, time for training, you can switch your brain off and you can go use your body and then come back and you're uh, a little bit mentally tired, a little bit physically tired, hopefully get a good sleep and mm. um, I think it's a really good, um, good balance. And it just gets you out of the screens you know like it gets yes. you doing something physical sweat endorphins um i think it's really really important so um yeah i don't know how i'm going to balance it actually especially oh. with all the competitions next year um but i'm determined to make it work yeah. so yeah we will see yeah i think with phd it's more flexible yeah um yeah for phd you don't have to be in the university from nine to five mm. um it is like a job but you can create those hours yeah. that work for you yeah, <laughs> like with the with the competition seasons coming up, people are like well, my mum was like, why don't you just get a job? And I was like, no, then I have to be in a like yeah. <laughs> a yeah, be yeah. somewhere yeah, yeah. for forty hours a week. Like, how am I going to do like ten to fifteen hours of training a week? No. <laughs> yeah, not for me. So um, yeah, it's a PhD was the way to go. Just yeah, with the flexibility uh, of the hours. So um, yeah, that was a big big plus for me. Will you travel around New Zealand? Yeah, because yeah, I was thinking you could do your research at the same time if you're in the same place. Yeah, yeah. so my coach is in Christchurch, so I'm like, oh, maybe I could do some work with Kaitahu. Yes, so. <laughs> oh, that would yeah. work out really yeah. well. Yeah, so oh. we will, I'll work smarter, not harder, I think, is going to be the motto over the next mm. four years, three Very years. Cool. Yeah. Um, what was going to ask? Yeah, if people have more questions um, or want to have a chat with you, where can yeah. they contact you? Um, yeah, I'm always up for a chat, a bit of distraction from, yeah. <laughs> from my work uh, you can contact me on Facebook Madeline Schelling or on Instagram um, what's your Instagram name? Madeline so it's Madeline Madeline yeah M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E oh. dot Alice dot Alice okay yeah. cool yeah flick me a question and let's have a yarn yeah I'll, I'll link that for you guys um, any last comments that you want to make no um, thank you for coming though and um listening to my <laughs> concert blah, 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 blah. very interesting um no, no it was really um good um yeah to have that kind of support and peers as well good example of good peers <laughs> in uni and in research um they understand your journey and they get you through so mm. important people to have i think um, yes definitely yeah. yeah support in any form like you said your dad has been a really big support yeah. but yeah yeah, I think or like adopt have, a lecturer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that as well. Yeah. yeah, and having not just academic support, but whatever family support, friends support, yeah. like pet support. Yeah, yeah, whatever you need. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think yeah, moral of the story would be um, if you want it, like just go get it. You know, send those emails, do that study, do what you love, um, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, because we need more Māori and Pacific in tertiary education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mads. Mm, no worries. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Salmon Scientist podcast. If you have any more questions or comments, just message me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And please ask me questions. I'm here to help.